0: Open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 4. Our text today will be Acts, chapter 4, verses 10 and 12, as we look at the five solas. Today we will look at Christ alone, solas Christus. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your good word. We thank you for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, open our hearts and open our minds today, and by your Holy Spirit, illuminate your word. Teach us, empower us, and embolden us to be your witnesses in this world, in our families, in our communities, in your church, that once again your name would be glorified. Father, we ask that you would work by your Spirit in your church and make us the glorious people of God, bearing witness to Jesus Christ, the one whose name is above all names, the one, the only one in whom salvation resides. Father, we thank you for this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, we continue working through the five solas. The second sola we will look at today is solas Christus," meaning through Christ alone. Remember, the Reformation proper began with Martin Luther nailing his 95 Theses to the door of Wittenberg Castle. And for Luther and the other Reformers, Luther was not the first Reformer. But for Luther and the other Reformers, both those who went before him, men like Wycliffe and Huss, John Huss was burned at the stake about 100 years before Luther nailed his thesis to the door of Wittenberg Castle. And Huss was burned at the stake for the very reasons Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis to the castle door. But there were also those reformers who came after him, such as John Calvin. And these reformers held to these truths. And so for the reformers, Scripture alone was the final authority. But equally important and intricately linked to that cry of Scripture alone is the eternal truth of Christ alone. The Reformers reaffirmed. They did not establish something new. They reaffirmed. They reformed. They took the church back to the foundational truths The Reformers reaffirmed there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Truly, our salvation is through Christ alone, and he alone is our great high priest and heavenly intercessor. So let's look at this pillar of truth, this sola we call Christ alone, solus Christus. In Acts chapter 4, we see Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, boldly proclaiming to the rulers and elders and scribes that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the man who was lame the previous day was now able to stand before them whole. Not only was he able to stand before them physically whole, but he could now stand before God as spiritually whole. Through Christ alone, this is possible. For there is no other name under heaven given among men which mu- which by which we must be saved. In Luther's commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, Luther writes, "'For if I cling to this, that Christ alone is my righteousness and holiness,' No monk will ever persuade or mislead me by his hood, rosary, this or that work, and childish human notion, for through faith I am a judge of all imaginable conditions and ways of living so that I can condemn everything that offers to show me anything else that is to avail before God." In this statement, Luther reaffirms that it is Christ alone who will cause us to avail before the Father. For only through Christ may we come to the Father. Through faith, Luther claims to judge all imaginable conditions and ways of living so that he can condemn everything that offers to show him anything else other than Christ, that is to avail before God. In other words, there is nothing else, and there is no one else that will avail before God except Christ alone. There is nothing else that can avail before God. It is through Christ alone. Peter continues to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ before his accusers, saying, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders... He personalizes his accusation there, and he's not making a false accusation. He's making a true and just accusation. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. Our salvation is found in Christ alone. Now that is not a popular statement in our current culture. His sinless life and substitutionary atonement alone are more than sufficient for our justification and reconciliation to the Father. In other words, there is nothing you need to add and there is nothing you can add to your justification. In fact, when you try to add anything, you're actually subtracting from it because you're proclaiming through your actions, through your beliefs, that if you can add something to what Christ has done, then what Christ has done is not sufficient. And that is a dangerous place to be. So there is only one way to the Father, and that way is through Christ and Christ alone. The Christ we trust in for salvation is the historical Christ of Scripture, not the fictional Christ of culture or the cults. Now, everyone that names the name of Jesus is not talking about the same Jesus you and I might be talking about. Everyone who names the name of Jesus is not talking about the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of Scripture. For instance, when Mormons talk about Jesus, they are not talking about the Jesus of the Bible. They use the name Jesus, but it is not the Jesus of the Bible, because the Jesus of the Bible is not the brother of Lucifer, and that's what Mormonism teaches The Jesus of the Bible is not the son of a God who was born in a body like this, on an earth like this, and ascended to Godhood from manhood. That is not the Jesus of the Bible. But yet, they use the name of Jesus as though it is. And we need to be wiser than that and understand that in Christ, in the historical Christ of Scripture alone, is our salvation. It doesn't matter how many times they say Jesus or Christ or Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. If it's not the Jesus of the scripture as defined by the scripture, it is not the Jesus that can save you. It is another Jesus and another gospel that has no power to save you. There are many expressions of Christ in our culture today that are not accurate expressions of the Christ of the Bible or the Christ of the historic Christian faith. The Christ of the Bible did not approve of sin in any form or fashion. In fact, it was so abhorrent to him and his father That the only solution to conquer it was to die for it. And that's what Jesus did for you and for me. He died for our sins. Not because he approved of sin, but because he hates sin. And we should not, in his name, approve of what he calls sinful. That is not trusting in Christ alone. That is trusting in someone or something else, but it is not the Christ of Scripture. It is not the Christ who saves you. Many people use the name of Christ, suppressing the truth of who He truly is and what His Word truly teaches about Him and the salvation He so graciously provides to all those trusting in Him alone. There is only one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. That's what Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Christ alone must be the object of our faith. Looking to any other besides Christ or in addition to Christ is sin, and we must repent. We are very often guilty of looking to ourselves and trusting in ourselves instead of looking to Christ. So you might say, well, Pastor Jeff, I never look to anyone else. I I don't worship any other gods. I look to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ of the Bible. But we very often fail to realize how often we actually are trusting in ourselves, in our own wisdom, in our own decision-making, in our own power, in our own strength, instead of giving what we need to give to God and trust in Christ. God never said it would be easy to do that, but He absolutely said this is what we must do. Christ alone is our salvation. You cannot save yourself. He alone is our salvation and great high priest, and we must look to no other. So this concept of Jesus Christ is our great high priest. This cry of Christ alone emphasizes the role of Jesus in salvation. Roman Catholic tradition eventually placed church leaders such as popes and priests as well as Mary, the mother of Jesus and patron saints in a role of intercessor between man and God or between the laity and God. Church tradition became such that there had to be a priest between the laity and God. And that is not what the scripture teaches. That was born out of man's tradition and superstitions, not scripture. The reformers looking to Scripture emphasize the role of Christ alone as our great high priest. You don't need to pray to a saint. If you want to have a patron saint for something, I guess that's okay, but you don't pray to that saint. You don't look to that saint to bless your fishing trip or your hunting trip or anything else. Your children. That's who Jesus is. He is our heavenly intercessor. He is the one. And Jesus taught us now we don't even pray to him any longer. We pray directly to the Father in his name. You don't even have to pray to Jesus anymore to get to the Father. Jesus said, don't pray to me. You pray to the Father. But we come to the Father not in our own name, not in the name of a saint or a priest or a pope or even Mary, As blessed as she is, birthing the Son of God, we come to the Father in the name of the Son and we come boldly to the throne of grace, the Scripture says. The Reformers looking to Scripture emphasize the role of Christ alone as our great High Priest, who is now interceding on our behalf before the Father. Listen to the writer of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus Christ alone is our great high priest. There is no other human mediator or even heavenly or spiritual mediator to grant access to the Father. There is one mediator between God and man. It is the man, Christ Jesus, And we must place our faith in Christ and in Him alone. There is no biblical basis for a believer turning to anyone or anything but Christ. Every Christian is able to approach the throne of God with Christ alone as his intercessor and advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, John writes. It's Jesus Christ. And if we are guilty of committing sin, we confess that sin, and he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is our advocate with the Father. We are to place our faith in Christ. Through faith in Christ alone, our great high priest, we are made a royal priesthood, Peter writes. 1 Peter 2, 9. A royal priesthood. You are kings and priests, John writes in the revelation of Jesus Christ. In Christ alone, we are given the privilege to come boldly before the throne of grace. We just read this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. We come boldly before the throne of grace. That almost sounds arrogant, but it is not. It's faithful because we're not coming boldly in ourselves. We're not coming boldly in our own standing. We come boldly because we come in the standing of Christ. We come boldly because we come not in our own righteousness, but we come in the righteousness of Christ. And what right do we have to believe or to say that the Father would reject the righteousness of His Son, He will not. Therefore, we come boldly because we come in Christ alone. In Christ alone, we are able to stand confidently in the day of judgment. 1 John four seventeen. In this, John writes, in this, love has been perfected that in the day of judgment we have Boldness, we have confidence because as He is, so are we in this world. Again, that is trusting in the standing that we have in Christ, trusting in the imputed righteousness that has been given to us by God's grace in Christ. In Christ alone, we are saved to the uttermost as those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for us. He doesn't sometimes make intercession for us. He always makes intercession for us. And you might say, well, Pastor, I don't feel like He's interceding for me because I'm having a really hard time right now. It doesn't say his always intercession is contingent upon how you feel or even your circumstances in life because it is not. And I can promise you, there are circumstances in my own life I would change in a heartbeat if I could. But as unwanted and as unpleasant as those circumstances are, I cannot but believe that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for me because that is what the Scripture declares. And we are never told to walk by our feelings. We are never told to walk by our sight. We are told to walk by faith. Not by sight. Not by our feelings. Not by our circumstances. In Christ alone, we have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Don't forget, Jesus suffered in ways that we will never know and in a measure we can never imagine. And I'm not talking just about his physical suffering. We very often think about the suffering of Jesus based on a physical death on a cross. The physical suffering of Jesus, I believe, was nothing compared to the suffering he endured when he took upon himself the sins of the world. The Lord of glory, the sinless one, took all sin upon himself. Took your sin and my sin upon himself. That is a suffering that we will never know, that we can never imagine. We have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He was at all points tempted as we are, but unlike us, he is without sin. He knows and understands our weaknesses. He is graceful. He is faithful. And he alone can save us. That is why we proclaim that Christ alone is our Savior Christ alone is our great high priest, and he alone must be the object of our faith. You are are not to have faith in your faith. You are to have faith in your God. Christ alone is the only way. He's the only truth, and he is the only life. In John uh, 14, 6, as Jesus is with his disciples at the Last Supper, as they are preparing to leave, and unbeknownst to his disciples, Jesus knows he's going to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he will be arrested and taken and ultimately crucified to die for the sins of his people. And in that time, together with his disciples, Jesus says these words that we are all familiar with, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As much as we notice what Jesus did say there, we should also notice what Jesus did not say there. He did not say, I am a way. He said, I am the way. He didn't say that I am A truth, one of many, for we each have our own. No, he didn't say that. He said, I am the truth. It does not matter how much you believe something is true. It doesn't matter how much somebody else believes something is true. We can't all have our own truth. Truth is not subjective. Truth is objective, and there is an objective truth. And Jesus is that objective truth. I am the truth. God's Word, Scripture alone, communicates to us that objective truth. And so we never have to wonder whether this is true and that is true and that is true. And we all have our truth and we all, if we can just get our truth together, we can all each have our own and get along together. No, that's not what Jesus said. And the real problem people have is not with the pastor, not with the church, The real problem they have is with God. They have a problem with Jesus because Jesus is the one who said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And it doesn't matter what you or I believe. What matters is what is true. What is truth? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is not one of many doors. He is the one and only door that leads to life and leads to the Father. Christ alone is the door of salvation. That is the way to the Father. Christ alone is the way. He's not one of many He's the one and only, and there is no other. Now, if you say those things in a crowd of people, like on a church on Sunday morning, you you can have people upset with you. Hopefully none of you are upset with me here this morning. But if you are, you're not upset with me. You're really upset with Jesus, because these are His words. And as we go out into the world... And as we live our lives and as we interact with people who believe very different things, who think they believe the truth, who think they know the truth because it's their truth and they've personalized it and put their very name on it, that doesn't make it true. You can dress a lie up as the truth all day long, but guess what? It's still a lie. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. This is from John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10. I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear him. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out. I'm sorry, will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. When you read that whole section of Scripture in context, you'll read that Jesus says this, My sheep know my voice, and no other will they follow. If you have heard the voice of your Savior, and you have settled in your heart, there is no other voice I'm going to follow, that's not kudos to you, that's kudos to Jesus. He created you to be His sheep, and then He chose to be your shepherd. And He gave you ears to hear His voice so that you would follow Him alone and no other. That's not our good, that's His good. There are many pretenders. Jesus called them thieves and robbers. And they don't come through the door, they climb over the wall, they sneak in. We must not allow this world and those pretending to know the way to distract us from the truth of Christ. The truth that Christ is. Alone is the way. Just because you hear the voice of the shepherd doesn't mean you should not be careful. Just because you hear the voice of the shepherd does not mean you should not guard your ear and guard your eyes as to what you hear and what you see and what you allow to enter in those ear gates and eye gates and what you allow to come out of that mouth gate. Jesus said, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, it's what comes out. But guess what comes out? What comes out is what goes in. When we say Christ alone is the way, that is the way we are to walk each and every moment. So that way... Jesus said, I am the way. That way is not just our future hope of heaven. Sometimes as Christians, we get so fixated and focused on getting to heaven that we we forget we have a life to live right now, in the here and now. So that way is not just our hope of heaven one future day. When Jesus said, I am the way, what he means is, I am the way you're to walk in now. You're to walk each and every moment of each and every day in Christ, in His way. That's why we have this motto that says, Christ in all of life for all the world. It is Christ alone in all of life. What part of your life does not involve Christ? Now, you might not consciously think about how all the different parts of your life are related to Christ. But if Christ is your Savior, if you are His child, if you are born again, if you have become a new creation in Christ Jesus, if you've been crucified with Christ, and it is now Christ who lives in you, if Christ is living in you, and the life you now live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God who is your life now because you were death and sin until Christ saved you and made you alive. And how did he make you alive? He gave you his life. If Christ is your life, then tell me what part of your life is separated from Christ. If Christ is your life, what part of your life doesn't matter to Christ? If Christ is your life, what part of your life can you take Jesus out of your pocket and put him in the closet so he can't see what you're doing and now what you're doing doesn't matter because you've separated it from Christ? No, that's impossible. You can't do that. You can separate no word from Christ. You can separate no action from Christ. You can separate no thought from Christ. You can separate nothing from Christ if Christ is in you and He is your hope of glory. And if that is who we are, Christians, that's what it means to be a Christian. If that is who we are, And we can separate no part of our life from Christ. And He is the way in which we are to walk. And yet we live in a world that is pressing against us, that is pulling against us constantly, trying to separate us from Christ. But can the world separate you from Christ? It's kind of a trick question. Paul writes in Romans, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. The question should more accurately be this, if you belong to Christ, why would you ever want to be separated from Christ? Now we all have sin and we all have struggles and we all have a flesh sinful fleshly body with sinful fleshly desires. We all have minds that are in the process of being renewed. Your spirit is completely conformed to Christ and His life. That part of you has been redeemed totally and completely, and your salvation is already complete. But there's another part of you I believe the Bible refers to it as the soul, the seat of the mind, the will, and the emotions. And that is the part of us that is still being worked out. That's the part in which our salvation is still being worked out with fear and trembling. You really can be tempted to give place to thoughts and actions that are not according to the way of Christ. You can be tempted to do that, and you can even do that. But when you read the 23rd Psalm, which is not a psalm about death, it's a psalm about life, though we read it at funerals all the time because it mentions the valley of the shadow of death. But we're all walking through the valley of the shadow of death, so to speak. But Christ is our good shepherd, and he is leading us through And when we stray from the paths of righteousness, what does a good shepherd do? He brings us back on the path. Even if that bringing us back may may be painful to us. I don't know how often it would happen. I don't know how true it is, but supposedly it is true. That back in the day, when shepherds actually stayed with their sheep all the time, that a wayward lamb, a wayward sheep that would not stay with the flock, the shepherd would break the leg of the lamb and make the lamb so dependent upon the shepherd that the lamb would no longer leave. How many of you want to sign up for God to break your leg? What I'm saying is we we don't understand how and why God works the way he does all the time. But here is what we do understand and here is what we do know. That the plans I have for you, says the Lord, are plans for good. To give you a future and a hope. What we do know is that Jesus promised... In John's gospel, it's recorded for us. In this world, you will have tribulation. There's no question about that. But then Jesus goes on and he says, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. It doesn't mean that we're going to overcome every situation we face in the world. Jesus also said in his letter to the churches, And I think it was the church of Smyrna. You you guys might correct me if I'm wrong. But it was the church in which he gave no correction to. And he told them, he said, you're going to be thrown into prison. And the devil, the devil is going to throw some of you into prison. He said, be faithful even unto death. Which tells us that some of those thrown into prison would experience death in their persecution because of their faith. It happens. It's happening right now. We must contend for the faith. We need to contend with those pretenders and those opposers who in vain seek to tear down the faith and depose Christ the king. They may creep in unnoticed or they may announce their intentions boldly and loudly like many are doing today. However they seek to come in, we are to contend for the faith. Listen to the words of Jude, Jude 3 and 4. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you hear what Jude wrote there? who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God. If that doesn't describe what's happening today in our culture, I don't know what does. And the question is, where is the church that is contending for the faith? The sinful world and the drifting culture of ungodly men are constantly trying to erode the truth of the gospel but their efforts are in vain and cannot prevail, for Christ has promised to build His church, and He has promised that the gates of Hades would not prevail against it, Matthew 16:18. I quoted last week from the Cambridge Declaration. I want to quote again from that declaration issued on April 20th, 1996 by the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. And in this portion of it, they describe the erosion of Christ-centered faith as they reaffirm the doctrine of Christ alone. Solus Christus, and the erosion of Christ-centered faith. And I quote, As evangelical faith becomes secularized, its interests have been blurred with those of the culture. The rest... The result is a loss of absolute values, permissive individualism, and a substitution of wholeness for holiness, recovery for repentance, intuition for truth, feeling for belief, chance for providence, and immediate gratification for enduring. Hope Christ and His cross have moved from the center of our vision. That was true in 1996. And contrary to what some preachers tell you, that was almost that was almost 30 years ago. The Cambridge Declaration was issued to reaffirm the biblical truth of the five solas. "Solus Christus, or Christ alone, was one part of that reaffirmation. It reaffirmed that our salvation is accomplished by the mediatorial work of the historical Christ alone. His sinless life and substitutionary atonement alone are sufficient for our justification and our reconciliation to the Father. It also denied that the gospel is preached if the substitutionary work of Christ is not declared and faith in Christ and His work is not solicited. In other words, if a pastor or a priest or anybody ever tells you, well, my truth is Christ, and I'm trusting Christ for my salvation, but whatever your truth is, that's okay. Because always, all paths lead to God, because we're all seeking the same God, worshiping the same God. No. That is not the gospel, that is not good news. Acts chapter 10, verse 43, to him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. The scripture is clear in its testimony. Through Christ alone is man saved, and in Christ alone we have a great high priest in the heavens who ever lives to make intercession for us. Such glorious truth. This truth is ours in Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Spirit. Amen. Let us prepare to come to the Lord's table to celebrate Christ and Christ alone as our Savior, as our Redeemer, as our Great High Priest, As our perfect lamb sacrificed for us, taking our death, taking our sin, taking the wrath of God in our stead. Jesus did not die to give you the opportunity to be saved. Jesus died for his people that they would be saved. Which is exactly why he said from that cross, it is finished. So we celebrate at this table the finished work of Christ, our salvation, by declaring his body and his blood, his death, even until he comes again. Christian, you are welcome to this table to celebrate Christ. Come and we will eat and we will drink together. Here is your commission. In Christ alone we trust. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Avail yourself to the word of God. Hear the word. Place your faith in Christ alone. Look to no other, including yourself, in which to place your trust. We live in a day and time in which Christ-centered faith is fast eroding. In fact, we could say it's largely gone. Now, as much as ever, we need the witness of those who will place their trust in Christ alone. We need the witness of a church, a people, of Christians, of believers who will not be moved off sinner of the rock of their, sal- of their salvation who is Christ. Our need for reformation is our need for the church to once again stand tall and not only influence the culture, but reestablish it once again upon the rock that it was founded upon. If you think about our culture here in America, we are not a perfect country, but we are no doubt a nation whose foundings were upon the biblical truths. It is what has given us the freedoms that we have long enjoyed and it is our departure from the gospel that will bring about the oppression and the lack of freedom that we now see creeping into our culture. Trust in Christ alone. You can be a part of that reformation as you look to Christ alone every day. As you live your life trusting Him every day in all the things that you do. Trusting His providence each and every day. It is our faithfulness in the little things that can make the greatest difference. Trust in Christ alone and trust that He is using you and your faithfulness in ways seen and ways unseen and all for His glory. And don't believe for one moment the lie that says even the smallest act of faithfulness makes no real difference. Because it does. All faithfulness makes a difference in Christ. And if no one else sees it, and if no one else knows, Christ knows, God knows. Be bold and be known as one who has put their faith in Christ alone. And by His grace, know that He is working in all things, and He will continue to work all things together for both good and glory. That you can be assured of, because that is what His Word declares. And that is why you can put your trust in Christ alone and know that God is faithful to honor, to honor your faith and your faithfulness. Amen? Amen. Let's sing our thanks. Praise Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you.